Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I came into the weekend with a fairly clear idea of what I felt the Lord wanted me to say this morning until I got up this morning and was praying and preparing and uh, now I understand why things were shifting in my heart already early this morning. So what I bring to you today, I want you to understand, I want to share my heart with you today. I haven't got a carefully crafted three-point sermon for you this morning, but there have been rumblings in my heart over the past weeks and some things that have really become, sometimes when God speaks, there's things that are tangible. You can feel them, though you can't always articulate them. You know that God is working and He's doing something, and certain things hit home in a way that is more impactful and deeper than they have before. You know them, they're in your mind, but somehow they carry more weight now. And my hope this morning is that as I share things with you, just that have been rolling around in my heart and mind, number one, that you would become excited. When God wants to move and He wants to do things in our lives, He always has good plans. There is a cost that we sometimes identify with more than the outcome. You know, who can stand in the day when he comes, he's going to sift, he's going to refine. How many, does that sound like fun? (laughs) But what is the outcome? Purity, holiness, the ability to stand and be and to abide in the presence of God. There is no greater joy, there is no greater gift. And so, yes, though sometimes the journey may involve pain, the outcome is glorious. And when we see it from that perspective, we are so much more inclined to want to cooperate with God and what He desires to do. So as I was preparing for this morning, I wanted to give you an analogy. Mishka, would you mind just coming up here for a moment? I did warn her about this. I said, um, as I was praying this morning, you came to mind. And I'd like you, if you wouldn't mind, I know you're not a flashy person and you don't like being in the limelight, but please show off your bump. <laughs> because Mishka's... Uh, yeah, stay this way, because then the profile works better. <laughs> Mishka, thank you so much. Mishka and Siobhan are expecting something. Thank you. That's all I needed you to do. They're expecting something, something very precious. Amen? Something beautiful and something wonderful. And... They are super excited. And anyone who loves them is super excited for them. We are really chuffed. We can't wait. You're all sitting there with smiles on your faces now. Why? Because you're excited for them. And here is how in our excitement, this is how we express our excitement to Mishka. And I tell you, she's going to start nodding at me shortly because this is what our excitement looks like. That's so wonderful. Get your sleep now. That's so wonderful. We're so glad you're having a baby. I hope you're ready to kiss goodbye to your expendable income. We're so excited that you've got all of these things happening. I hope you go out for dinner while you still can. Our excitement is immediately expressed by, hey, there's a price coming. This is a wonderful thing that you're going to enter into, this new season. (laughs) And it's going to be glorious. The goo-goo eyes at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
Have you prepared yourself for all the nappies and the breastfeeding and the bottle feeding and the rashes and the reflux and all the other bells and smells that come along with having a beautiful little baby in the house? Why do we do that? Because we know that amongst all the excitement and all the wonderful things that you have to look forward to in raising another little human, it is going to cost you more than you could possibly imagine. You don't know what you're in for yet. That's God's little trick. <laughs> if we did, we would, <laughs> we would, there wouldn't be too many humans. And I know that in this time and season, Siobhan and Mishka are making major preparations. They know that, know that soon and very soon, everything in their lives is going to change. I think they also know that they are preparing as much as they can, but you'll only truly know what it's like once you're in it. And, I mean, for those of us who've raised more than one child, you think you learned some things with the first one? God laughs. Because each child is different and each one comes with unique challenges but also unique rewards. From the moment Siobhan and Mishka fell pregnant, their entire mindset has had to begin to shift from their, themselves, their own well-being, the plans and ideas that they may have wanted and had for their own lives to consider now this blessing that is coming into the world. The blessings of this life, big and small, do not come without significant sacrifice and hard work. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we get the idea that God makes these wonderful promises and they're just going to happen automatically. God made a promise, but if we look at the original way this all works out and God making a promise to a man named Abraham or Abram at the time, he says, first of all, it's going to cost you your family and your life I want you to come out, and I want you to come to a place where I'm going to show you. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your stability and everything you've depended upon. And then, as we know, it, the promise took years and years to fulfill itself, and it took years and years of faithfulness and obedience. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 tribes of Israel who ultimately end up in the middle of Egypt, and they're crying out to the Lord, and he said, you know, where is our promised land? When is this going to come? And God raises up somebody for them named Moses, the most unlikely source, the most unqualified man possible to lead them out. And he does, with many mighty miracles, leads them out of their captivity and sets them free. Here's what freedom does. It places upon you the burden of responsibility. When you are not free, when you are a captive, you are dependent upon other people. You do not have the freedom to determine your own outcome. But the moment you are free, you get to determine where you're going and what your experience is going to be. God did a work in your life and mine, just as He did in the lives of the people of Israel, to bring us into freedom through Jesus Christ. Bring us into liberty and into a life where many things are open to us and available to us in the Spirit. We have great and precious promises. Paul writes and he says, everything we need for life and godliness has been provided to us. And the same with the people of Israel. He says, come, I have now set you free. You are on the cusp of your promised land. I will be with you. I will go with you. I will empower you and I will fight for you. But you have to take the promised land. 
there's a price that needed to be paid. A price to believe God. And eventually when they did enter in, God said to them, little by little I'm going to give you this land because if I give it to you all at once, it will overtake you. You will not be able to run with it. So the blessings of this life, they come at us with a cost. And the cost is not just to, make, to, 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 to attain these blessings. There is a cost in maintaining them. I have the blessing of a home and a house to live in. I also have the blessing of having to maintain the thing. If you have a blessing to have a car to drive, you have to pay the price to maintain the thing and put new tires in it and check the oil and pay for services and change the brakes. They cost money. Your dream home is going to cost you both to purchase it and to maintain it. Folks, last week, Pastor John, as we've already discussed briefly this morning, spoke a word over us which... I bear witness with because of the words that have been spoken over us for the past couple of years saying, prepare for influx. Very simple word, and it's not overly specific. It doesn't give the idea of a tsunami coming in, but of an influx of people coming, of greater levels of blessing, greater levels of fruitfulness, but with that also greater levels of sacrifice, greater levels of responsibility. The reason I say this is a confirmation is because of what the Lord spoke over us. You'll remember it. Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has come upon you. Uh, from verse 3, Gentiles shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. And do you know what that means? That means wonderful times. That means blessing. That means lots more work. And lots more mess. Amen? You know, <laughs> just to come back to the, the analogy of a baby, there's nothing quite like that. that, that uh, they talk about a new car smell, but new babies also have a special fragrance. That new baby smell. But that new baby smell goes south fast. Because there's other smells associated with new babies too. Right? They need cleaning. They need looking after. They need, they need caring for. And this all comes as part of that. And who does God look to to care for babies? Adults or their parents in reality. And the older children. <laughs> and the older children help, yes. There are some of us who have come to a level of maturity in the Lord both in terms of longevity, we've been believers for a long, long time. Also, we have learned to walk out our faith. We have learned to walk out our salvation. Imperfectly, and not in all its fullness. But what we have learned means we're a step ahead of those who do, know, who do not know how, who have not yet learned. And the Lord looks to you and I to say, hey, you've been following me as a disciple for, for how long now? It's time for you to learn how to disciple somebody else. Folks, I want to say to you, one of the most challenging transitions of my life is the shift from learning how to be a disciple to learning how to be a discipler. And it's a very different mindset. And this is what the Lord is calling us to. 
It's one thing to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow Him, but it's an altogether different thing to allow Him to use you as somebody who can disciple others and bring them into a vital relationship with Jesus. See to their needs. Care for them. Love them. Walk with them. Be patient with them. Answer their many, many questions. I've learned that every level of growth in maturity and ability in my life has come through greater self-sacrifice. Every level of growth and maturity. I thought I was, had a cert, attained a certain level of maturity and then I got married. My wife revealed to me my immaturity. And then I thought I'd gained some maturity and then I had a child. And she revealed to me my level of immaturity. How selfish I still was. How preoccupied with my own desires I still was. My own agendas. And there were many more things that I needed to relinquish. My comfort, my convenience, my time, my resources, all in the service and the needs of the needs and desires of another. Folks, this is the hallmark of maturity. Children are preoccupied with themselves, what they want. You've heard the rules of toddlerism, haven't you? If it's mine, it's mine. If I see it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If you have it, it's mine. If, if, if I want it, I want it. But as soon as it's broken, it's yours. It's all about me, what I can get, what I can have. Some people never grow out of that. We all know people who still live in existence where it's all about what they want. Their comfort, their preferences, their needs are paramount in their lives. You know what that is a symbol of? Simple immaturity. Parents and grandparents grow to love to give. Why? Because it is an act of love and it is an act of maturity. As I was pondering on these things this week, the Lord gave me a word that's been rolling around in my heart, and that's the word agenda. Agenda. What is, and he said to me that one of the truest marks of a servant is that they do not follow their own agenda. A servant of God does not follow his own agenda. Even a servant, if you think of a waiter, if you think of a servant in a household, they do not follow their own agenda. They are following the agenda of another. And when I talk about agenda, what do I mean? An agenda is simply a plan organized by time of events or things to do. So when you rock up at a meeting, a formal meeting, you will find that you have an agenda. These are the things we're going to discuss today. This is our agenda because we don't want to get sidetracked and talk about all kinds of other things. This is what we want to focus on. It's our agenda. Right? How many of you know you can have a hidden agenda? How many of you know you can push an agenda? All of this, what it has to do simply is... An agenda is the scheduled program of your will. Your agenda is the scheduled program of your will. What you desire to accomplish or what you desire to see come to pass. If your primary concern is yourself, you're not a servant. If your primary concern is your well-being, you are not a servant. If the thing that occupies your mind predominantly concerns your life, yourself first, you haven't 
managed yet to transition into what the Bible would define as a servant. The mark of a servant is that they have taken upon themselves the agenda of another and made it their priority. Folks, we all have agendas. Let's not kid ourselves. I have agendas. I also have personal agendas. I have some agendas that I push, and I probably also have some hidden agendas too that I don't even know about. They're hidden even from me. We all have them. This wouldn't be what I'm talking to you about this morning wouldn't be an issue if we didn't. If I had no agenda to take on somebody else's as a piece of cake. But the struggle that we have is the laying down of our own agendas. Amen? The struggle that we have is realizing that I may want this, I may desire that for my life, but God has a plan and He wants to call me into that. And His plan, though I can't see it, because I know Him, I truly believe that it is far better and greater than any plan that I could come up with for my own life. Because any plan that I could come up with for my own life would be centered around me and my comfort and would lock me in immaturity and insignificance. No impact, no influence in the world around me. God's plan for your life is way bigger than just you. It is designed to affect the world around you. When we have made the agenda of Jesus our priority, that is what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This is what we're going to be talking about very soon in a couple of weeks. This is what we want to be focusing on in this time and season. You see, we're not serving a God who is oblivious to our needs. We're not serving a God who asks us to lay down our agendas and to serve His agenda because He actually couldn't care for us. He wants to abuse us. He wants to use the gifts and talents that we have to further His own selfish cause. That's not the God that we serve. On the contrary, He promises to meet and provide for all of our needs and to do so generously. Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Therefore don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drink? These things the Gentiles seek after. In other words, the people who don't have a God that they can trust that will look after them and provide for their needs need to worry about these things. But if you are a believer and a disciple of Jesus, you believe God to provide for you, you do not need to spend your life worrying and chasing after these things. Why? Let's read on. Verse 32. After these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. But you... Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. Added to you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because if you do, it's going to look like something in your life. It's going to look like this. All right, Father God, these are my needs. This is what I'm struggling with, this is what I'm hoping for, I present these to you. I ask you and I trust you to meet those needs on my behalf. Now that I've left these with you, Father God, what is on your heart for me today? What is it that you desire for me to do? How may I serve you? It means that I daily come and wait upon Him to hear what it is that He has to say. I choose to put relevant personal agendas in his hands and to one side in my heart and mind so that I may present myself as a vessel for honor, as a vessel yielded to him. 
Jesus said it this way. I love this verse of Scripture, John 17, 19. He's, in a, he's praying to his Father and he says, For their sake I sanctify myself. What does sanctify mean? I set myself apart from all the stuff that generally people are seeking after, from all the things that, occupy, that could occupy my time, that are, from all the hobbies that I could have, from all the pursuits that my flesh cries out after, from all the comfort. I set myself apart from all of these things from, to do your will so that they also may be sanctified or set apart or dedicated or made holy in your truth. Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I have set myself aside from the will that I may have and the plans that I may have so that I may take on board yours and walk in obedience. Walk in your way that through me your will may be done and may be accomplished. And Jesus invites you and I into this life of sanctification. This is the preparation. This is how we get ready. And this is also how, once the needs and the pressures begin to hit, we tap into a level of grace that is beyond ourselves. You see, this young couple will find that they are making all the preparations they can now, and they will enjoy the joys and all the highs, but there will be moments where they will be tested, where they will be pushed, where they will be tired and a bit worn out, because that's what happens. And it is in those moments where if their faith is orientated rightly, they will tap into a measure of grace that comes from God, which brings not only ability into that sacrifice, but deep, deep joy and fulfillment. There are deeper levels of joy than you've ever experienced before, but they're not when Baba is cooing. They are when you are being challenged and you get to taste the joy of sacrificial love. And there are challenges that are coming upon you and I which are associated not just with everything going wonderfully, but that come with the cost of sacrificial love. There is a price, but there is a grace and a deep fulfillment that is found in it. Jesus again said it this way, John 15, 4 to 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, here's where I want to share a testimony with you. And I'm not sure if I shared this a couple of weeks ago. It's been rolling around in my mind for a while, so I might. And if I had, I'll say, as Jesus said, again, I say unto you. <laughs> this verse has taken on special significance in my life. It's actually one of my favorite portions of, of Scripture, John 15, the parable of the vine. And, but recently, I've been surrounded by people I mean the past few years, who do not know the Lord, some of whom are struggling with really hectic stuff. As I know that this is being recorded, I'm not going to share details with you. But here's what I will share with you. 
Number one, God has put a love in my heart for them. Which, which means I'm praying for them. And they're coming up in my remembrance. And I'm aware that He has a plan beyond friendship for these relationships. I'm also so aware that as I've walked with some of them for years now, they have seen, I've enjoyed their friendship, they've enjoyed my friendship, I think. I've loved them. We've had wonderful times together. But all the love that I've been able to give, the encouragement that I have tried to sow, the support that I have sought to be for them has not in any way changed them. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to change somebody to love them. I'm loving them. But I do know that if they are truly coming into contact with God, with the presence of God, with the Spirit of God, something's going to change. Something's going to rub off. Right? There are situations where there's things that are really difficult. In some sense, some of them have blinkers on. They can't see the truth. You have conversations with them. You try and talk and counsel with them through some of the really hard life issues they're working through. And as I said, I'm talking about heavy stuff. And you see how they're processing things and you say, hang on, you just think of it this way. You've got this all wrong. You've placed yourself at the center of this, but there's more to this than you. And you try and work and the shackles aren't falling off. And I'm realizing more and more that Although I can be there for people and I can support people and I can love them sincerely and I can encourage them, without the power of God in the midst of the situation, I can do nothing. And it's a sobering and humbling realization that, hey, you've been in the Lord for so long, but you don't have what they need. You have it, but you don't have it. It's there and it's in you and you believe it with all your heart. And sure, there have been little breakthroughs here and there, but on the whole, the power that is needed in the situation doesn't seem to be there. I feel like Paul sometimes when he says, you know, I have this form of godliness, but, but the power, the power. And here's the thing, I have no control over the power. It's not mine to muster up. There's not a a magic spell that I can, or cantation that I can recite, and suddenly things will begin moving. But here's what is happening, and here's what I'm seeing happening in my heart, and as I look over this congregation this morning, I'm seeing it happening in your hearts too. Not only is the realization of what I'm saying proving true in your life, and the realization of this need to say, hey, I need more. Of God, I need more of that power, but also the hunger for that is growing. And that hunger is drawing us and bringing us deeper and deeper into His presence, causing us to cry out to Him, causing us to say, Hey, Lord, I need to get ready. And that is why when Pastor Andreas stood up here earlier on and gave that word, it was just. All right, I'm hearing, I'm hearing you, God. I'm, I'm getting it, Lord. And I think many of us are getting it, Lord. There are greater levels of sacrifice and consecration that God is calling us into. Let me use the analogy of personal fitness. Your level of personal fitness enables you to endure what you can currently do. So when I started running many years ago, 
I couldn't manage to run three kilometers. I used, that was my goal. I'm going to do three Ks today. And I used to have to walk big chunks of it. And I didn't know how to run. I had to learn how to run and how to pace myself and how to breathe and how to look at things like heart rate and all of these. I couldn't run three Ks. Some of you are smiling because you're like, yeah, amen, that's me, Pastor. But I've learned how to run. But a few months ago, my sister phoned me and said, hey, I want to do a 15K run in, in March. You're going to join me? I said, yes, I'll join you. Why? Because I know that that's going to push me to elevate my level of fitness. I can do a 5 or a 6. I could probably do a 10, no problem. 15K is a bit beyond what I could do at the beginning of January comfortably. So what have I been doing? I've been hitting the road. I've been spending time on the road. I can tell you I'm ready to do a 15K run. I can also tell you it's not going to be a personal best. Still carrying a little too much luggage. But I'm ready. Now I want to get more ready. Amen? I want to do more than just a 15K eventually. But here's the point. The same principle is true. The Lord is saying to you and I, there are things coming. There are exciting things coming. But your level of spiritual fitness is not ready to flow and run yet. There is power that God is wanting to pour out upon and through you and I. That we do not yet have the skill. Forgive me for the, the word skill. It's not like it's, it's, something you, it's something you learn. Flowing in the Spirit with a gift. It's like a skill, like playing the guitar. You learn how to flow in it. And so, listen, I want you to say this morning, praise God for what I have. Praise God that I can do three Ks. Praise God that I can pray in the Holy Spirit. Praise God that I recognize when He's giving me a vision or when I sense the unction of His Spirit. But the fruit that He is wanting to bear through me is way beyond my current level of ability. In order to get that, there are sacrifices I need to make now to train. Time prayer in prayer. Time praying in the Spirit. Time engaging with God and with His people. Coming together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some. Because it's funny how in that assembly things happen. Impartation happens. We glean from one another not just thoughts or encouragement, but enthusiasm. Camaraderie has an incredible way of rubbing off. Have you ever been to watch a Springbok match at Newlands or at the Cape Town Stadium and had just one oak shouting for the booker? Yeah! Rassi! No, the whole stadium shouts. Why? And the, more, the louder they shout, the louder you shout. Why? Because it's infectious, folks. It's infectious. What I know for sure is this, that in the time and season that is coming, the greatest among us shall be the servants, shall be those who have surrendered their agenda and learned how through practice to surrender their, their agendas to the Lord's agenda. They've become invested in it. They're not in it for themselves, but they realize that they are preparing to sanctify themselves now for, the, for their sake. Who's there? Those who are coming. Those who need discipling. Those who need fathers and mothers. Not selfish teenagers. 
Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, Though you may have many instructors, many people who will tell you what to do, you have not many fathers. Teenagers are very enthusiastic to tell you what to do. Have you noticed that? And they do it with such authority and conviction. But it's fathers and mothers who know how to carry you. It's fathers and mothers who know how to care for you. And the Lord is saying to you and I, I want to make you fathers. I want to make you mothers. Those to whom I can send the lost, the broken, the orphans. And I can send them to you that you may care for them and love them and give them a home and show them what love looks like. Show them what unconditional love looks like. Accept them and walk with them and disciple them and teach them my ways, both in word and in practice. Get ready. Get ready. Title of my message this morning is simply Ready to Love. And although there are more things I may want to share with you at this time, I want to leave it there. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.